wake up! My parents fly back today! Who are you? Who are you? Oh, she! Get these glasses! Come on, you stupid thing! Oh, French polishers. It's just possible you could save my life. <laughs> Mum, just landed. Oh, quiet. I'm on my way. Hello everybody, welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast, brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. Um, you'll notice it's only Sandy here this week with me. Hello Sandy. Hello, good evening. Do you think the other two, after after the, uh, <laughs> given what's happened, do you think they've just shied away from wanting to talk, have a, a week talking about nothing but Edinburgh? Yeah, just, uh, it obviously couldn't stand the humiliation. <laughs> um, the, have allowed have allowed the East Coast to assume control. <laughs> um, you will notice um, that we opened there with the French polisher advert from the Yellow Pages, because I was on holiday last week and I had a nice week off. Stayed at home with the kids and and the wife, and we had a nice nice wee break. Um, and I left John in charge, and not twenty four hours after the podcast had been broken, but we were banned from Facebook. <laughs> The entire Scottish Rugby blog page has been removed from Facebook. We don't know why. I don't think anybody said anything untoward on the podcast. But there you go. That's that's where we are. We've been we've we've been banned by Mark Zuckerberg himself. So um, yeah, I leave the kids alone for for one week, and we get we we incur the wrath of Mark Zuckerberg. Um, but you, I mean, you can still get in touch with us on Facebook. We've set up a new page, which is Scottish Rugby Podcast. So we're on there. So if you want to find us, we're, it's mainly just going to be for broadcasting this, if we're honest. Um, but it's worth following. And then you can see when live broadcasts uh, are going to come up. And um, we're on uh, Twitch as well, Scottish Rugby Podcast, YouTube, Scottish Rugby Blog. Um, you can visit the blog as well, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk um, for all the latest articles, news, views on Scottish rugby. Um, I've just had one on this week, which we'll probably touch upon in a bit. Uh, you can email us, podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. .co.uk uh, and you can also uh, find us on Twitter at Scott Rugby Blog and I'm at Cami Black. Um, what we are doing tonight, we've got a different, uh, you'll notice a little different format tonight uh, for those of you watching this live um, where we are using some new software. You can see some banners scrolling along the bottom um, inviting you to comment. In theory, if this all works out, Sandy and I can interact with you live tonight. So if you make any comments during the podcast, if you think Sandy or I have said something absolutely outrageous, please let us know. Um, and so long as the language is cl clean, um, we'll pop it up on the screen and we'll answer any questions you've got. So please give that a go. Hopefully it'll work. Uh, we're keen to test that out. We're keen to try and make this a bit more interactive uh, with everyone that watches. Um, so um, we're also on Patreon. So if you want to subscribe to us on Patreon, you can do um, so. It's uh, patreon.com slash Scottish Rugby Podcast. Um, we will, for the three pounds a month, you get into the Richie Vernon Thunderdome. And when you're in the Richie Vernon Thunderdome, uh, you can um, enjoy some exclusive content. So we're trying to put out uh, an exclusive one episode a week that's exclusive. 
um, and not available elsewhere. You can also get uh, ad-free versions of the podcast as well. You can also get into our super secret Facebook group where we give you um, little behind-the-scenes sneak peeks uh, and little advanced warning of stuff that we're going to do as well. Uh, if you pay £5, though, you get into the Doogie Donnelly Members Lounge. Uh, and I forgot to tell John last week, uh, we have had a new entrant into the lounge because for £5 a month, you get your name read out on the podcast. So um, we welcome in, of course, the beard of Scottish rugby, uh, Ian himself, Ian Wallace. Um, we should also mention as well that Ian is about, a, I think, just over a week away from no longer being the beard of Scottish rugby, being the former beard of Scottish rugby and shaving it all off in the in the name of my name's Doddy. So um, if you visit the podcast to, uh, pit post on the blog tomorrow uh, we'll stick his just giving details up there um it's all in a good cause you'll you if you um if you haven't heard of ian you'll have seen him because he's in every single bit of siu and Embra promo footage ever just wandering about murrayfield he's fairly he's hard to miss um is ian so that's that's all for a good cause um ian kind of grew up with with doddy uh, they both came from stow um so and then look here we go and he's joining us now there he is look ian wallace there he is i can pop his little face up on screen as well look hello ian with sunglasses it's a clean message it's a very clean message thank you for that ian much appreciated um so yes um so you please do that um sandy we need to we need to get on with business tonight so the, the the first things first scotland have launched a new kit which is quite exciting i guess it's and very simple and to be honest i wasn't i wasn't so keen on the uh the the training things with the training tops with the what looked like shoulder holsters or you know the gold bit on the shoulders i thought they were a bit odd but the actual playing shirt i think is not too bad at all we touch a touch a gold there and it's quite simple otherwise i mean there's the usual grumps about micron sizing and uh and logos and such like but you know um we could do we going back to Canterbury though. That's the thing. Or, sorry, that <laughs> you wearing that when you got the shirt on tonight? Is this yeah, your one man campaign? In honor, in honor of Canterbury shirts that actually fit the fuller figure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's nice to see a return to the collar. I like that. I think I, I'm always yeah. upset whenever they don't have collars. Yeah, it, I mean that's just to the, a rugby shirt should have a collar. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I know when I played, I always used to have it tucked in in the in the kind of thought that. It would stop somebody grabbing it. Now the rules stop that. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've got a comment there. Look, Chloe Stanton on, on YouTube says, I thought the gold was bogan in the 2011 kit, but it works well this time. And I, I think that's fair enough. I think that's a fair comment. Yep. It, it's. I would agree with Chloe there. <laughs> the, the little yellow detail on the back, I'm not sure what that is. I don't know if that's so you can, like a GPS thing. It's like a little, it looks like a little duck's bill poking out the bottom oh, right. of the back of the shirt. I'm not sure. That's the only bit I'm not sure about. Oh, I missed that, to be honest, yeah. And I like, I did enjoy the fury of everybody, the small minority of Scotland fans immediately just like, where's the tartan? We demand tartan and freedom on our rugby shirts. It's, has there ever been tartan in a Scotland shirt? Oh, yeah. Probably yeah. there was actually one shirt. I remember yeah, that. I think with the World Cup. We don't have tartan in this World wee, Cup. Wee bits down the side, yeah. No. There is some, I yeah. think. If you look very closely and the back, the very bottom panel at the back, it's very faint kind of tartan plaid oh. pattern on it um the one thing that i did think was was nice is the an interesting given the current climate was that the whole marketing campaign for it and i've done a blog post on that um 
over on the blog, which um, if you've got a few minutes is worth reading. It's a bit of a long rambling one from me, but I, I struggled to kind of get all my thoughts together in any kind of coherent form. Um, but it's they, they've kind of launched it with this, this slogan of the threads that bind us. And very prominently within the uh, kind of main image promoting it, you've got two um, black fans um, in between Adam Hastings um, and Darcy Graham like front and center, which I think is very positive. It's nice to kind of have that representation. Gingers are also represented before people get upset. There is a ginger man with a beard. Yeah, it's not Graham Love, Um, unfortunately. Sadly sadly for Graham, he was most upset by that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it was nice. The the only disappointing thing, I think, is that they'd use Megan Gaffney to launch the women's shirt, which is absolutely fantastic. Given what had happened with Ireland the week previous where they'd use models instead of players, um, which sparked a bit of a backlash, understandably so. Um, it's disappointing, I think, that the women's shirt isn't available to buy because I think the point I made in the article is if you you like to see yourself reflected in heroes, you like to dress up as your heroes, it's no different to you know Marvel making Captain America and Spider-Man costumes available but saying, well, we're not going to produce Black Panther costumes. It'd be absolute outroar if, if that happened. So that's a bit disappointing, Sandy. Yeah, and... To be honest, it's it's a bit of a failure because, and I meant to look earlier today to see, but um, specifically to do with international shirts because I did. It's the same story with Edinburgh. There is no female tops in the in the range for um, uh, Edinburgh stuff. Uh, and I, at the time when I noticed that, I had a wee look, and you could, there is other clubs with macaron tops that are mm. able to get uh, women's fit shirts. So all it is. Or you would imagine all it is is a is a change of pressing a different program on the uh, on the the production line to to get the right colours, you know. So if they've already got the if they've already got the cuts, so why not? Why should the Scotland shirt not uh, be one? Why should the Edinburgh shirt not have it, it? I think it's a big part of the demographic, and I think it's a failure. No, no. it's a failure commercially, mm. but it's it, it's a failure in terms of. In, inclusivity as well yeah exactly i mean i think you know some people might want to wear choose to wear a men's fit shirt but other you know other people might be more comfortable in in a women's fit shirt and i think the point i made in the article is if if demand is the concern from a financial point if you then do a limited it can't be hard to do a limited run and if that sells out then you know you've got demand you can't test these things until you do it can you i mean that's really what i was because it's not i mean macron clearly do women's cut tops so you know the, it how hard can it be to take one color off the production line and put a different color on it to, in order to produce a few for for everybody it just seems a bit of a mess to be honest and, and, and poor, yeah uh, I, i've heard a that. rumor i've heard a rumor that the women's shirt is on its way and that it's been delayed due to issues with manufacturing so if that's true then full credit to the SRU, and but but if, I think if if that is true, then I would have liked to have seen that in the press release. I think everybody would have found that helpful to to have seen that there was a commitment to produce it, but there were everyone would understand at the minute that yeah it wasn't coming out anytime soon. I mean, I, 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 potentially, I wonder whether that decision is because they want folk to buy a shot now <laughs> rather than <laughs> regardless whether it's whether it's a male fit shirt or not we need money give us it now you know yeah. and uh, and then they may buy a women's shirt later on as well well that's true yeah double up i don't know what kind of cut they get from the from the merch that'd be interesting to know kind of what 
what, how much of a markup there is on the shirts. So how much Macron get and how much you, the SRU yeah. get directly? That'd be interesting to know. I mean, it's, it's they're um, not cheap. Can't be, yeah, it can't be insubstantial. I mean, uh, it would have been. I've always thought that you should have probably got a discount in the uh, in the shop at Murrayfield for for being a season ticket holder, but. Um, that's never appeared, so perhaps there's, the margins are not as good as uh, uh, what they would what they would hope. So, and there's no, perhaps not enough room to, to even give a discount to those that have put their hand in their pocket already. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's there. It's a nice strip. I like it. I think the sevens strip. Less said about that, the better. I don't really understand yeah. what's oh, going on there. No, no, it's a bit odd. It's like yeah, it's like some sort of the kind of thing you'd see after a bit. Ten pints. <laughs> yeah, and what was a white shirt at yeah, one point? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's the shirts, um, and like I said, there's, a, there's an article on the blog that I've written looking more about kind of what, what the SRU could be doing aside from just marketing campaigns to increase inclusivity in rugby, not just the SRU but but rugby at large. Um, kind of tried to draw a line under some of the discussions we've had over the past few weeks on the podcast, but no doubt we'll we'll end up talking about it again at some point in the future. Um I'm going to you now this Sandy, you've got there's no John and Ian aren't here. Would well, this is a Glasgow free zone tonight because and I love this. This is why Richard Cockrell is is just I love Richard Cockrell, who when somebody pointed out to him, you know, um, Fraser Brown was moaning but moaning about the scrums. Brilliant. Richard Cockrell turns around and says, Well he's on holiday, isn't he? <laughs> So I'm not going to watch see what he likes, <laughs> which was fantastic. So we've got that's uh, definitely dropped the mic, hasn't it? Yeah, um, Ember in a quarterfinal, and that you know I don't think for all the talk I think we had um, of there being a star or an asterisk next to whoever wins this season. Let's you know let's not kind of underplay what a fantastic season Ember Ember have had because. Even when it came to shutdown, Ember were already in a very strong position. Was it top top yeah. of the pool at, at lockdown? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no. right. and clear I mean, by it, some it, margin it, as well. Yeah, um, well, they're not hugely ahead. We weren't hugely ahead of um, Munster, but um, having beaten them earlier in the season, they were obviously that, that was the kind of that was the difference uh, between the two teams. So, yeah. so uh, point of order, though, semi final, please. Is it a semi? Am I getting yeah, confused? Straight, yeah, right. they've done of away course. with the quarterfinals because uh, of course, because yeah, that was the uh, fifth, that'd be the fifth playoff winner, so semi straight into the yeah, semis, uh, straight into the semis. Yeah. And you would, and again, that would have would that have happened? Because is it that would have if they'd finished top of the pool? They would, yeah, you, if they finished top, they would have went yeah straight in anyway. So yeah, so again, so I don't. I mean, I would. It's it's uh you know let's not. You know, and the play. I don't think lockdown has had any part to play in that. Ember would have finished strongly in the season anyway. I've no doubt. Um, I, I mean, how how does that feel as an Ember fan? Do you think? I mean, it feels deserved. It feels like it's been it's been coming over building over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I, just, I mean, the, I always when I speak about Edinburgh's progress, I always consider it not to be particularly linear. It's uh, sometimes it, there's the odd step sideways or backwards. Um, but I don't. I think even just figures-wise, that's. And, and if we had the season had carried on, I think we would have scored more points in the uh, in the pro league than we'd we'd ever done in um, in the last ten years. Probably, you know, qualified. I think we were almost guaranteed to qualify, even if it was 
um, uh, in third if, if the games, the remaining games had gone uh, against us. Um, so it, it's definitely uh, a, a big step forward because this is, you know, it's the first time qualified out of the, uh, the Pro 14 uh, uh, league stages, first time into the semi-final. Um, and we'll, we'll see what happens. And, and you, you're right, though, about the the asterisk thing, and it will be there, and I don't, you, you can't get away from that. But I, I think to, given that the once we had realised that we weren't going to be able to play these games the way uh, the season the way it should have done, uh, the games at Edinburgh potentially been left. If they go on to win this, you know, have been two games against Glasgow, always difficult. Ulster, um, as we know, have uh, beaten us quite a few times. Even at even at uh, Murrayfield, um, and then Leinster, who have gone through the season up until this far unbeaten. So if we win it, there will be an asterisk, but um, it's still deserved because those are probably four of the hardest games you'll play in this league. And if you come through those with enough of results to get uh, to pick up the trophy at the end of the day, I think you you can you know can laugh off the uh, the the asterisks that we no doubt will hear about if uh, if it comes to pass. Yeah. I mean that's the interesting thing is that the last two games against Glasgow like you said they're never they're never easy because there's there's more than just there's more than just the honor of beating your your rivals at stake it's yeah. the it's a chance to get one over on your opposite number who's in contention for the Scotland shirt. Um they're always hotly contested games but I mean they were almost like two preseason friendlies in a way because there'd been such a long layoff. There's a lot of ring rustiness. I mean, that it's almost like I'm quite surprised. I think the way around that the games happened because it almost felt like that second game should have been the first in a way because you know it felt yeah. like the teams were more rusty second time round. It was much more of a horrible <laughs> mistake strewn grind it wasn't it wasn't uh it was one for the pu- wasn't even one for the purists i don't think no. maybe a stretch i think uh, um they definitely it definitely felt as if the second game was 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 very poor and it also feels as if it was played in a specific manner um i mean i think i think i had to be looked to see i mean uh, uh, both duhan and darcy i think barely saw the ball Mm. In terms of accepting broken play, I don't think they were. I don't think either of them were passed the ball once out through, uh, out through the line, and you know, in the kind of traditional manner. Um, and uh, I, I think Nathan Chamberlain got passed the ball by um, Shield twice in the whole half from the back of a ruck. Um, so they were definitely playing to a structure to, I think, to minimise danger to. Important players like uh, Van der Merwe and mm. Graham. Um, I mean, Van der Merwe, I think, was playing specifically because he'd asked to, mm-hmm. because he felt he had, he was still not quite up to his own levels of fitness in the first game. And to be honest, if you want to, if uh, if you want to have Darcy playing in the semi-final, I think he needed to take some part in that. So it, it, he did plenty of running. I think he just didn't have the ball very much, um, and. Given we've only got two standoffs, even though we weren't going to play Jacko, they wouldn't want um, Nathan Chamberlain to be injured either, um, because then we're into the we're, 
deep into the academy boys, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Richard Cockrell's talking, was, was talking up Jakob van der Voort last week, I think, prior to this, saying that he's he's of international calibre now. I mean, do you, you've seen a lot of him this season. Do you, is that something you agree with? Is he, you know, is he going to be pushing? Because we know Finn Russell's going to be back in contention. It, all, all the right noises are there. Is that, you know, is that realistic for you, do you think? I don't think in I don't think in the first instance he's certainly not going to um, displace Finn Russell. That's just not happening at all if Finn's available. Um, he, he offers an alternative off the bench. I think ultimately Hastings is a very similar player for me and is probably heading in the same sort of direction as a stylish standoff. Whereas Jack was a bit is a bit different. He's not. I think I said this for the guys last week. He's, He's not flashy and he's not, um, uh, not you know, doing too many tricks. But he's he's very very solid. He's got a good defence. He's got uh, uh, as good a kicking game as either of those uh, two guys uh, off the tee and um, probably out of hand maybe as well, but certainly off the tee. So he's he's got to come into contention. I mean, if you're looking to just to do the same thing off the bench as you've been doing the rest of the game, I suspect you're still looking at. Um, uh, Russell Hastings, Hastings Russell, but if you're trying to if you're trying to offer a point of difference and somebody who can, you know, either close a game out or or, or you need for whatever reason you need to play it a different way, he is a decent shout. Yeah, I suppose it's that thing if there was nobody really below Russell and Hastings that you could call yeah. on apart from Duncan Weir, who was you know any. I can't. I, I, someone pointed out the other day had played, you know, made an appearance off the bench in that the last France, the game against France. Yeah. I, I'd completely forgotten that happened, and it was what six months ago. Um, yeah, brought him on in the wing. Yeah. But it's um, it's definitely a it's it's a more I suppose it's a it feels like a better option, third option because it, it, I'm not aware of, and you might correct me on this. I think he he's he's an out and out fly half, whereas Hastings has covered full-back in emergency situations for Scotland before and done done very well at it. So I'm not sure that Jakob van der Voort can play anywhere else or, do no, I'm not, or has done. Yeah, no, last season they tended to use, if they had to, if they needed a kind of stand-in full-back a little half of the game, it was usually uh, Simon Hickey that went there and they kept uh, Jakob at stand-off. Um, uh, so, I, yeah, I don't think he has... I mean, I suppose a lot of the skill set. I mean, if Hugh Jones can play there, why not? <laughs> can he play there, Sandy? I thought he did okay, in fairness to him, to be honest. <laughs> um, good coming forward. Plenty of, plenty of room. Uh, there we go. Yeah, we've got a couple of Chloe Stanton says, van der Voort, Jakob van der Voort came to us, suppose he's a better full black than fly half. So he's maybe, you know, he's not been tried there, but but who knows? I think, I, I think, Certainly, the the expectation was that um, that Hickey would, you know, take the mantle and and Jacko would not be the, the the first choice. But I think over the last season, he probably probably showed himself to be the better choice out of the two, and it may well have it may well have had some contribution to um, Hickey's deciding, you know, along with you know budget concerns, not to stay. To be honest, yeah. I mean, what was your take on Nathan Chamberlain then? Because it was. Like you said, you got what two passes from scrum half in yeah. the first half. I mean, it's a hard game to judge on, but it, you know, I don't. He, he did okay, I thought, given it's his first pretty much pro pro appearance. Yeah, a few good tackles got himself involved. In, um, I think between them and uh, Shield, that was who Fraser Brown ran through for the first 
Glasgow try. Mm. Um, uh, missed, his, missed his first attempt at a penalty, but you know it was a fair old distance, and then got another one and looked, and he, I thought he had a couple of um, uh, up and unders that uh, that were really seemed to hit the hit the heights. To be honest, I thought were pretty pretty good kicks, but didn't. I mean, it was not. No moment of individuality that you could really point to, and, I, and it, it seemed to me that he was being um, shielded quite a bit, mm. um, which yeah. is fair enough in your in yeah. your first game at that level, you know. Yeah, and maybe that's not a bad thing. I mean, there was a lot. I think we've talked before, particularly with you know when Adam Hastings started playing for Glasgow and for Scotland, there was an element of what what's he doing? You know, what 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 what's he offering? But I think there is. There's nothing wrong with starting sure and steady and just getting the basics right, yeah, and being protected. So I, I play, play your way in there. Yeah, nice, solid, good. Again, you know, it's it's a bit of depth for Embraer and and a Scottish, you know, a Scottish one at that. Yeah, and I, I, I mean that that's our two options. Is it's you know two main options as it stands. So, um, so he is going to get the chance. Um, if not, uh, in the next game or in the in the final, should that come to pass? He's certainly going to get his chance over the next uh, part of the season because it was always, and I suspect it'll still be the same, is that if that we'll look to to give him time off the bench, um, and that's always assuming that Jacko stays fit. If he doesn't and get or and or gets called up to the Scotland squad, then he, he's he's going to be required. So um, it's uh, perhaps not an ideal scenario, but it's a great opportunity for him. That's for sure. Yeah, um, in terms of the, looking ahead to the Ulster game on Friday night, then you—that wasn't a, a full-strength Ember side by any any stretch. I don't think on at the weekend is is. I think everyone's available, though, aren't they? I don't think there's any any big any any big names missing. Potentially, he's kind of got a full uh, full squad to select uh, from. Uh, I think Darcy's back, Duhan's back. I think there's a possibility Jamie Ritchie might not be fit. I don't know. Um, I know he had a hand injury that they were that there was some concern about. Stick um, some stick some metal in him and send him on the pitch. Uh, that's, that's what they normally do with Jamie Ritchie, isn't it? Yeah, uh, that's right. I suppose the other big one was um, quite literally uh, Ben Toulis. Although there, I'm sure uh, Cockle said he would be fit for this. I mean, my concern about that, you know, for him and Jamie Ritchie is do you pitch them back in as, as starters for a match? Potentially the you know most important match in the, the club's history, and uh, having not actually played an actual game for you know almost six months, it's I think it's I think it's a step too far, and I don't think I would be going down that road to be um, certainly not starters. I don't think. Yeah, and what are you doing front row then? Because I mean, it's the it's interesting. I think that the the front row struggled against Glasgow at the weekend for you know coming back to. I don't want to. Kind of blows too much smoke up Glasgow's bum, but yeah, it, it's a it's been a strength for Edinburgh, but maybe that was a bit concerning that that it wasn't at the weekend, or was that just down to who was who was playing? We were we were uh, we were a bit lightweight in the second row, which I don't think helps um, uh, when you're you know you've neither uh, neither Gilchrist or Toulouse were playing, obviously your first choice. Um, uh, the young guys did well enough, but I think it it, um, it was a bit of an issue. Um, I don't. I'm. I i do not have a feeling that um, Pierre has come back so far in the same form as that he left in, um, and I think 
potentially the, the the man in charge of that shirt for Saturday or sorry for Friday. Um, uh, uh, sorry, Saturday. I keep changing my mind. Just like the Pro <laughs> 14, um, it would be Rory Sutherland for me. Mm. Um, uh, I was actually surprised. I did. I, I went away and checked because the match commentator on last week said that Herr Schumann had given away the most amount of penalties for a prop in the Pro 14 last season. I thought, surely not. Is that, is, is that in the scrum or in the loose? Is that from him lifting up, lifting up scrum, scrum pads? Well, <laughs> it just, just said just said penalties. Didn't doesn't doesn't actually say yeah. so. Um, but and in fairness, they actually gave away two in the first eight minutes on Saturday. Mm. Uh, uh, so it's I, I would go. I mean, I think with with the second draw that we expect to have, I will go with Sutherland, uh, and then I think your, your other two front rows would be uh, obviously Stuart McAnally and. Um, uh, and I think WPPNL. Yeah, and then back row: Bill Matta, Hamish Watson, and Jamie Ritchie. If he's fit, if I mean, I said, I, I, like I said, I don't know. I would if he's fit. He hasn't played. Um, do you find a place for for Jamie because he is so good? Um, whether he's not played for six months or not, that's the debate. If it's not if it's not Jamie, then um, I would give that position to Luke Crosby. Yeah. yeah, who's not gone to Glasgow <laughs> for no. all the talk earlier so the season so far <laughs> that yeah. we know that we know of? Um, well, it was certainly a relief to see him training in an Edinburgh shirt when the the, the two squads were playing uh, training at uh, BT Murrayfield when they started off. <laughs> um, and then the back set, I mean, presumably you go with with Henry Pergos and and Yako at fly half and then scrum half. Uh, well, Henry Henry's another one. Uh, as I, I forgot to say, that hasn't played yet, and I don't, I'm not sure if he's. I'm assuming that's through injury. Otherwise, I'm sure we would have had him uh, on. So, in his absence, the, the Nick Groom, um, I would say, obviously, over Charlie Shield. Hmm. And if if he is fit and they want him to play, then I suspect one or the other. You know, with Groom starting and Pergos on the bench. I think, given he's not not played, that's probably the, the which is fine. My only concern about Nick Groom is he has there's something about his um, styly box kick that means an awful lot of them get charged down. I think there's been about three or four this season to be honest, that uh, that and there was one on Saturday. I think uh, I can't remember who the Glasgow player was that he had a charge down early doors on on Saturday. Is, so. is that the angle but, he's kicking at? Do you think, or is it just the the time? I think it is, is it a timing issue? I, it, to me, it looks like the angle, but um, I mean, without slowing it down and watching it over and over again, rather than just cursing when it happens, it's it's kind of it's hard to be one hundred percent certain. But it's it, it, his action seems to be different than what uh, Pergos is, and and it and it and I think I want I want to say he's left footed, but I'm now not. Let's just go with that. Sammy, not that, that should foot. make a difference. Yeah, he's, he's left footed. That's what the problem is. Uh, what's the what's, the, le- what's the left footed equivalent of a southpaw? I suppose it's southpaw, isn't it? It's still southpaw, isn't yeah. it? Because you've put your paw. Um, south, south peg. <laughs> I, I'll be it. South peg. He's a south peg. I, south peg. I, I was. I mean, I wonder how much positioning comes into it as well. Because I mean, I was over lockdown. I did a podcast with Squidge, looking back at um, Scotland versus Georgia in the 2011 World Cup, and. Dan Park's positioning for clearing kicks, I hadn't quite realised how atrocious it was. 
because he just wasn't sitting deep at all. He was kind of taking things really close to the line and then trying to clear it and getting charged down quite quite a lot. So you wonder whether or not it's an element of... I, the, the forwards are offering him a certain element of protection, but if he's not in the right place to to make be, make the best of that protection that they're offering, that could be an issue as well. So I'm an interesting one to watch out. I mean, probably something that I think, you know, box kicking is always something that Ember get targeted for, but it's also something that, that that you use quite a lot. Although I don't you know, say that that's a, it's it's not that Ember are one dimensional. It's just, it's a string within your bow. Yeah. And, and, and maybe that's a, 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 you know, I suppose if you take more box kicks and then maybe there's a chance that, the, the percentage of the number of them that get charged down will will rise. It could, it might it might just be as simple as that as frequency, um, rather than any inherent fault. To be fair, yeah, um, yeah. So the back row pick, I think the back three picks itself. You got Duhan, Darcy, and Kinghorn. As long as yep. Darcy's kind of not too ring rusty, and then you've got um, the centres. Though is an interesting one, I think, because you, who are you going to go as centre? Because it's Despite losing Matt Scott, there's still a lot of depth there. I think. I think I think outside centres easy, and that's Mark Bennett. Mm-hmm. Um, inside, I would guess the choice for this match is um, Downey Christine or George Taylor. And given that um, uh, Dean's played both of the games that to you know since lock, since the end of lockdown, it looks to me as if. Um, uh, Cockles try to get him, you know, right up to speed in order to start this one. So, um, but I don't. I, I mean, I think Christine's probably a better defensive player than George Taylor, but George Taylor's maybe marginally more offensive. Um, so I don't think we we lose much one way or the other. So um, I'm, I'd be happy with either either choice, and I, and I think just from you know, I suppose there's an argument to be said. Uh, three games in three weeks when you've not played at all is maybe a bit much, but um, I think it will be Christine. Yeah, yeah, and, and then go, go on. I'm going to put you on the spot then, Sandy. Prediction for the for the weekend for the for the quarter, for the the semi. I should get this right. The semi final. It'll be tight, um, and I think it'll be KJ. Uh, so. Uh, 15-7 for Edinburgh. Oof, fifteen seven. There's a there's a there's a bold prediction. I think I I think you're probably right. I think it will be KG. It's not. It's it's difficult because both teams have only had two games, haven't they? And it's yeah. It's hard to know what kind of intensity you're going to get. I don't I don't think Ulster are quite the team they were. Um, no. But Dan McFarlane's doing good work there. But so we'll we'll, yeah. we'll we'll see. Yeah, they've not they've not had a, two particularly good games. Um, since they uh, will come back and they know that they are struggling with one or two injuries uh, uh, across their squad. So, you know, you're still going to have a, a good... I mean, I think they're very similar in a lot of ways because it's more a, it's more a team than a, a necessarily individuals that stand out. So, um, but I think, yeah, I think it'll be tight. Yeah. Um, the I forget, of course, Ember is still in Europe as well, Sandy. Yes, got uh, Bordeaux to play. I know. So if, of course, we can get to France. <laughs> well, that's that, that's the big if, isn't it? Whether whether or not it can be completed. It's Ember season's alive and well. Glasgow's is is a dead duck. Um. So there's there's that. It's Let's, not even it's not even pining. It's 
it's it's literally a dead parrot. <laughs> I'm enjoying a Norwegian, this. A Norwegian <laughs> blue. He is deceased. Um, or just a wee, just a Norwegian blue. <laughs> there's the title. There's the title of the um, of this week's podcast: a Norwegian blue. Norwegian blue. <laughs> um, the that we'll go on to the rest of the, a bit more news from this week. The European Rugby have announced the format for European Rugby for next year. Now, yep. you need a degree in astrophysics to work out how they're going to do it. Basically, the top eight teams from the Pro 14, the Premier English Premiership and France, yep. top 14, are all going to be in one big tournament in, and I've got to get this right, I'm going to Stuart Mathgate's article on the offside line because I thought he did a very good job of explaining it. Even yep. even though at the end of it, I still didn't really understand it. So, 24 teams, 8 each from French Top 14, English Premiership and the Pro 14, including Edinburgh and Glasgow, divided into two pools of 12, with teams playing just four games each instead of the current six before proceeding to the quarterfinals. Teams will be ranked according to their final placings in the 2019-20 season, including the knockout phases of their leagues. So my understanding is, from an Ember point of view, if you beat Ulster, you will be in the top seeds. Correct. If yeah. Ulster beat you, you'll be in the second seeds. Correct. Yes, that's. I am on the same page. <laughs> yes. So, um, the teams are then divided into four tiers before being split into the two pools. In each pool, each tier one team will play home and away against two of the tier four teams, with the same pre- process taking place for tiers two and three. Clubs from the same league cannot meet in the pool stage. After those four weekends of fixtures, the top four in each pool will qualify for the last eight. Clubs ranked five to eight in the pools will compete in a knockout stage of the Challenge Cup, which will begin in a single pool format, including the remaining 14 clubs from the three leagues, six from the French top 14 and four each from the Pro 14 and the English Premiership. The two Pro 14 finalists will be in Tier 1 and the two losing semi-finalists in Tier 2. So basically, we still end up with two European competitions. The pools yeah. spl- split into two separate competitions after the after the pool Oops. stage. Yeah. There's two pools of twelve teams, but no, not nobody plays everybody else. No. I'm sure they could have found a more simpler way of doing that. I, I, I mean, I, and it, I was trying to try to work it. Out. It would appear to me. I mean, obviously, there's four extra clubs in the Champions Cup doing it this way than there was last. You know, this year. Yeah. But we only save, if you go all the way to the final, you only save one game. Yep. So, um, so it, it, uh, it doesn't really seem as if we're gaining an awful lot, but um, I mean, it shakes it up and it might be interesting. And uh, I mean, I think, you know, the same article you referred to, I think potentially if Edinburgh managed to get to the final, their, their, their English um, opponents could well be, I think it was Gloucester and, um, uh, wasps or something. So yeah. it's some some decent games to be to to look forward to if that's the case. Uh, yeah, so. I think what I'm not clear on is that I don't. I think I, I think it means that Pro 14 teams can't play each other. Is my understanding of that yeah, rather than that, that rather than it's Glasgow Edinburgh? The Glasgow yeah. can't play Edinburgh, but they could play Leinster. I think it's that that Pro 14 teams can only play English and French teams. So ah. 
whether so I just, or not that's I just right. wondered, yeah, no, I, yeah, I suppose we'll not know until we see the draw, but I wonder, obviously, the, the, the pot tier four, if you like, is um, you're only going to play two. If you're in tier one, you're only going to play two of the tier four teams. Yeah. And I, I wondered if the reason for that was that to avoid teams in the same league, you know, there, there, there probably has to be a French team, an English team, and a Pro 14 team in the bottom three, yeah. as well as in the top three. So that way you would only ever, you would only play the, if you were a Scottish team, you would only play the French team and the English team. Yeah. Uh, and leaving the Pro 14 team to play uh, the off other. your list. And that, aye. Yeah. Um, and I suppose maybe that's the point of that is to, well, we've already, we've already seen, you know, Edinburgh play Ulster. We've already seen them play uh, Scarlets. So you know, maybe there'll be, there's more interest uh, at a time when money is uh, money is tight to watch them play, you know, Gloucester and uh, you know Racing or whoever it happens to be, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it makes it it does make sense. I think when you think about it really hard, but it kind of feels like, and we've all been in work situations when someone's produced a really complicated spreadsheet. You spend five minutes looking at it and going. No, you could really simplify that much quite a bit of five minutes. Yeah. It's just, you know, come someone turns up with a colored a colored color coded spreadsheet with five different tabs and you think you could make that one sentence. Where's uh, where's Kevin Miller when we need him, really? Uh, that's it. There was a sad actually well, speaking of Kevin Miller, there was a really um a sad um we start that Rob Harley has had scored in nine consecutive seasons, I think. Yeah. And and, yeah, and- hasn't scored this season. Sadly, so that, that run it's came to an end. Failed. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, shame. Yeah, we've got a last minute. Um, Ian Wallace has chipped in. Here's, here's Ian's Ian's um, score prediction for the weekend. 26-12 to Embra. Is it dream? We man. can but dream. We can but dream. Mm. Um, the other bit of news, which it's not so much news as um, a bit of speculation that Japan aren't going to be um, able to travel for this glorious autumn festival of rugby that we're promised or is being uh rumored uh, so south africa might take their place yeah which would be i mean that'd be interesting it's whether or not it happens though yeah i mean it's an odd one because i'm, I'm, I'm again it's a bit like the, the the draw for the heineken cup trying to work out who's playing who and when because are they not due to be playing uh, New Zealand roughly about the same time, so it's kind of it's kind of hard to work all that out. Well, um, that they've just uh, an, uh, it's just come out today that that doesn't look like there's any Super Rugby happening at all. The Blaisdo, okay, the Bledisloe Cup appears not to be going ahead. All right, okay, so, so that, that, that frees them up then, and potentially, I suppose, even if tra- um, uh, travel is still an issue to or from South Africa, there's enough. There's probably enough. South African players playing in in England and France to to pick up to pick a squad from. Yeah, I mean the the other thing I, I think we mentioned this last week the fact that the um, Southern Kings have they've not gone under but they've, they've withdrawn from all competitions in South Africa um, and from the, the the Pro 14 for the moment as well. Although it's not really not that there's there's anything no. for them to play at the moment, um, but there is this rumor that the the other four South African teams are potentially poised to join the Pro 14 or the Pro 13 as it is now. Yeah. Um, so I suppose that's a, that potentially is a precursor to that to show that it's it would be possible. Yeah. But only if you can open it, an air bridge. 
Yeah, and and I mean, I mean, forget pandemic stuff. I'm I, that that would be there. I mean, I feel sorry for Kings. I feel sorry for Cheers. Uh, 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 particularly, if, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, Kings. I think I think we worked out. I think they won four games in their entire Pro 14 history. One against Glasgow, one against Edinburgh included. Um, so as much as I'm still sad, sad to see them go, the the you know, it's the one place you can probably say they haven't added a great deal without without being mean about it. Yeah. Um, I suppose the that, Cheetahs have been much more competitive. Yeah, I mean, they always felt more like an advanced scouting party for South African rugby to come up north anyway than yeah. th- than an action genuine, genuinely kind of go there to push for Pro 14, which is just let's see how this works out and then we can replace them with a better team if it goes well. Yeah. Um, the one bit of news that we I've skipped over it because it was in the wrong I've I've not keeping to my notes in order but Richard Cockrell signed a new contract I meant to say that at the end of the Ember bit until twenty twenty three um the oh well, it was Rob Robertson in the Daily Mail was was speculating that this is succession planning on the part of the SRU so that if if we don't have a great Rugby World Cup you've got a ready made success for Gregor Townsend however. I think as as Tom English pointed out to Rob, he said, "Well, what's the the other option is that we win the World Cup and then the SRU say thank you very much, Gregor. We'll replace you with Richard Cockrell now." Which uh, I'm sure would go down well with everyone. But I mean, it, it, you can. I mean, he's on the BBC today saying that he does want to um, uh, coach at Test level at some point. Um, he's made it very clear. We're signing a new contract, even in, in the lead up to that, that he he still considers it to be unfinished business at Edinburgh. And he also he considers it to be his his project that he wants to see through. So, um, I know, would I would like the, I'd like to see him coaching the Barbarians. And we've mentioned this in the previous podcast. He's played for them a number of times. There's the Quilters International coming up in October. Who knows whether we'll have Pro 14 at that point? But there's that would be a, a, a Barbarians versus England match with Richard Cockrell as the Barbarians coach. Uh, yeah, as he is now, considers himself to be an ordinary Scot anyway. So it's uh, <laughs> be, be quite a nice. Uh, well, I think he's, nice up. he's fairly settled in Ember. I think, and he keeps talking. You know, he sees Ember very much as a project, and it's all. I mean, it's a little bit like he's been able to. Do what he did at Leicester, but from scratch. You know, he came into yeah. that Leicester role having played for Leicester, so I suppose he was taking he was he was taking forward something that was given to him, something that he had been part of, and then he took that forward. This is something he's come in and he's created from from the ground up, really. Because yeah. for all we talk about Ember's success, you can't really point to anything pre-Richard Cockrell that that, no. that sparked that or had any influence on where Ember are now. No, I mean it was perennial underachievers for the most part and and and, and, and Cockrell has come in and you know while I say it's not it's not been linear it has certainly always been a it has always stepped forward and a, and you can't you can't deny that and it, it must be hugely satis, uh, satisfying for him to 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 have taken a team that um you know as we will all recall that he berated for driving from the changing room to the training to the training pitches <laughs> Um, and we're more into, and he, he commented even again this week that he's now got a bunch of players who actually want to play for the club rather than just seeing it as a stepping stone uh, uh, international rugby. Um, I mean, we all know it's a stepping stone in international rugby, but you, 
if you want to be a really good international player, you start off by being a really good uh, a club player because you can't, you know, you don't, if you, although I suppose being, if the, the Welsh seem to make a mockery of that, to be honest at the moment, but um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that you've got, to, you've got to do, you've got to at least be competing at club level to then go on um, uh, and win at international level. And even just the, the, if we can get both teams winning as much as we can, then that's a, a winning culture that hopefully rubs off in the Scotland squad and, uh, at large. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I disagreed with him on this week was when he was talking about the he would welcome kind of a relegation. I think with people talk about the future of potentially creating a British and Irish league yeah. with two tiers and 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 he was saying that he you know he's coaching players who've never known the fear of relegation and i can i take his point on that that there is an element of comfort within the pro 14 that you you never really have that hanging over you never have the relegation dogfight however i think one of the the great things about the pro 14 and how it benefits the likes of Ireland and Wales and and Scotland is that it allow it gives it gives teams permission to go out and try stuff. So you're never really playing conservative up the jumper rugby because you don't need to. You don't need to kind of backs to the wall, defend every game because your live your livelihood literally depends on it. I mean it's a it's a way of playing if you choose to do it that way. I mean Munster have made a, a legacy out of it, but that's through choice rather than necessity. And I think I think it produces a certain brand of rugby, and you look in England, and you look at the way you know some of the England Premiership games are are dull as dishwater because it's just, you can see it's two teams who are scared of ended up ending up being relegated. Yeah. And, I, and I and I don't know if the the facts would support it, but I mean I watched a wee bit of the English league this, this year once relegation was effectively taken away from by the by Saracens' demise, and and the games are. Do seem to me to be more open as a mm. result, and um, uh, and ultimately they've they've been talking about closing the door. Yeah. So um, I, I think it's a different uh, uh, Scotland, Ireland, Wales to a certain extent. We, it's a different model of club ownership. Obviously, all the English clubs are owned by uh, uh, sugar daddies and you know men that have just been you know that have been at the clubs and worked their way up or whatever way, but you know they're not owned by the, the RFU uh, whereas obviously the Scottish clubs are owned by the SRU Irish clubs I don't know if the, the model's exactly the same but we're more the, there is more of a kind of emphasis on um, that step up to the international game uh, for the for the, the kind of three Celtic nations if you want um, and I think that's not um, compatible with uh, with the way that the English have it, and I think you would. All, we would. Bottom line is, I think that we might not be all that competitive in that because it's just not something we're used to, and it's not the way we yeah. play. Never mind the fact that you know you, there's 12 sides in that English league. Um, uh, you can't take away the Italians because they're uh, our shareholders now in the Pro mm. 14. So, so you've got another 12, another 12 clubs you would have to add to this league, and who wants to be in? Tier two, no, exactly. And I think the, the other thing is that you don't end up with trusting your young players. You don't, you don't, you know, younger players don't get a chance because you, you know who's going to 
who's going to put that 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 burden on a, on a young player to come and go and play a releg- in a relegation dogfight? So you end up signing old journeymen that that are tried and tested, who play until the thir- you know the, their early thirties, and then all of a sudden, no, hang on, I've got I've got no standoffs left, and I've got to play a seventeen year old rather than having somebody. And you've got that luxury in Scotland that you can you can gently introduce players into into that intensity of rugby without the fear that if it goes wrong for them that it might have significant consequences for the clubs yeah and I, and I'm, I mean I know I moan about it at times and when it comes around to international time and when you lose lose players and um, uh, and you're, you're some of the younger guys get a shot but at the same time I quite like it because it's great to see them and it's great to see them uh, normally some thread about the end towards the end of the season when they're you know We've run out of things to play for, um, so that's you know that, that is good to be able to do that. And how else, as you say, how else are you going to get them a chance uh, without you know destroying their potentially destroying their confidence and yeah. um, having to play in a specific way that just avoids defeat rather than seeks victory. Yeah, there was a there was an article in the Herald talking about I was kind of moaning about the quality of the game on at the weekend between Glasgow and Edinburgh and suggesting that the way around that's because it's under SRU control and everyone been told themselves to you know told to go easy on each other. That was a suggestion very subtly, you know, not so subtly put. I think you could argue that Richard Cockle had, you know, Embra had the home semi, so what's the point? You're not you know, why why risk your players? the Glasgow players were you know, they're on on the metaphorical beach. If they're not allowed to go, you know, they might not be able to literally go to the beach, but they were they were all on the metaphorical beach. So it was never going to be the same intensity. No. The, the the solution in the Herald was you sell you know, we need to get ownership of the clubs back in, but I think we might co- cover that in a Patreon episode. I mean it's not happening because neither club has any assets that you could sell to somebody. I mean Exit make all their money allegedly through the through the hospitality. That's how they fund a lot of what they do. And you know the SRU own Mini Murrayfield, but they're not. I can't see them selling that off to anybody to start hosting weddings in. But when you've got Murrayfield next door, which is no. you know, however many times the size of Mini Murrayfield, Scotstown's defeating, yeah, yeah, Scotstown's not owned by the SRU and it couldn't be sold to to a private. So without assets which you can then use to make money, it's you know I don't think any English. I don't think know of any owned club in the in a professional tier that makes money or doesn't lose money yeah. significantly. So you look yeah, at somebody who's got money to burn, you're looking at a bond villain yeah. essentially. <laughs> yeah. I I, I I mean I on principle I would like to see um clubs not owned I mean by the SRU, but like you say, I mean it's Whilst it might be something you would desire, it's a bit like a it's a bit like a third pro fourteen team that we might desire it. It's just not going to happen. We're 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 so far away from that fight. We're even further away from it than we would have maybe have been six months ago. So you know, un- unless I win uh, Euro Millions on Friday, the and, and I'm looking for a vanity project. It's and even then, I think the SRU have said that they would, as it stands, they would only sell. Was it was it a a forty-nine percent yeah share, so they they obviously want to keep control. So, a you've got to you've got to have the money, <laughs> the desire, and you've there's also got to be a product yeah, that can be, what's you know what's what's, what's what's in it for you at forty-nine percent? 
Do you know it's yeah, like nothing? Yeah, because you're not got control of it. Well, you know, you're paying you pay a hell of a lot of money for a corporate box, effectively. Yeah, I, I, I started to work out how how many years I would have to live to to save on my season ticket. <laughs> <laughs> um, Martin Bell is asking how much juice is in that can. I've had. I'll, I will point out, man. I've had. <laughs> I've had two cans. I know I have two cans during the um, during the podcast. So it's not the same can. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, Chloe Stanton also, I should give crap. I'm not just ignoring people's comments, by the way. Um, the, Chloe said she rejects the idea that guys like Ryan Wilson, Fraser Brown, Rambo, and Crosby would ever go easy in a game. I know I'm not. I'm not suggesting that they would. They would. They would. No. They would intentionally do that. It's more. I think that players, whether unconsciously or consciously, will approach the game with different levels of intensity depending on, on who they're playing and what level they're playing at. So I think it's more yeah. what I was meaning is... It, it, I don't want to say it was a meaningless fixture because I know a lot of people got upset at Ian for saying that, <laughs> but it was a meaningless fixture. But, you know, it's not the same... You know, the 1872 wasn't even on the line. It was, a, you know, effectively, it's a... It's, it's a blues and a blues and reds game, you know, in the, in the, yeah. um, you know, in the thing. It Chloe says, oh, she wasn't accusing us of that as more the Herald, but yeah, I, I, I take the point. I think it's, I don't think that was what was happening, but, um, that, yeah. Yeah, no, I think I said earlier on, I think Edinburgh, you know, chose to play in a specific manner, which to, to give players, whilst they were obviously trying to win, because nobody would do that. Um, I think the more important thing, Ooh, we might have lost Sandy here. Um, oh, he's back. Good. And nobody, and nobody to get an injury. I think yeah. it's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what they're after at the end of the day, isn't it? Um, we're, we're going to move on now. I think we've we've covered. I've covered all the things I've got to say in the news. And we're, somebody said we could. Somebody said on on Twitter this week we we end up talking about things for an hour and a half that could be covered in uh, in fifty minutes, and we're over the fifty minute mark, Sandy. So let's. We're going to move on. We're going to do this now. Yes, it's Where's Doogie Donnelly. Uh, this is the section of the podcast where we ask you to get in touch with anybody that you've spotted out and about, any kind of players, pundits, uh, people loosely associated with Scottish rugby. We've had two this week. We've got um, Ian Wallace once again, friend of the podcast and beard of Scottish rugby, says he saw John Barkley coming out of Scotland, Scott Mid in Collington Village, wearing rugby shorts along with a natty flip flop and sock combo. Unsure of whether he had paid for his shopping or if it was an endorsement. Um, I think that's that's him down in my gone down in my estimations. I don't, I don't think any man that wears socks and flip flops. Is uh, I I don't rate any man that wears socks and flip flops. It's a it's a terrible combination. It's not it's not cool. It's no, just not. no. I would imagine. I'm interested to know whether they were white socks. I would imagine they were black socks and flip flip flops. Is, is is even worse. Although beach beach shorts and flip flops and a hoodie is a very strange combination as well, which I've seen this week on somebody. It is. It is strange. I don't know. I don't understand why anybody would voluntarily wear flip flops because they're they're the, they're the worst shoe or worst of any footwear to walk around in. I would rather be barefoot. You end up tensing your toes the entire time. I'd rather wear Crocs. It's that bad. <laughs> oh, there's something. Um, I'm trying to desperately trying to find the other uh, 
um, the other Where's Dougie Donnelly. I think it was on the podcast page. So let's see if I can find it now. It was a it was an absolute doozy of one as well. Um, we've got. Um, let me have a look. See if I can find it um, on the thing. There's probably an easier way to do this. Um, we've got some hands in the rock coming. Let's see if I can find the other Where's Dougie Donnelly that somebody saw on here. If I can find it. Um, you you haven't seen anybody out and about, have you, Sandy? No, I've been there. Uh, no, not this week. I'm afraid. Here we go. I found. I found it. So um, I've just got a hands in the rock. Somebody must. I'm sure somebody had uh, got in touch with me. But we've only got a hands in the rock from somebody. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. If you've sent us, um, if you've sent us a where's Dougie Donnelly this week, um, and I've missed it, then, then apologies for that. I've got for some reason I've been inundated with the mentions this week. I don't think anybody has. Uh, I don't think anybody's DM me either with one. That might have been where it was. Here we go. It was Neil Gibson. I found it. It was in my DMs. He slid into my DMs with... Uh, he was travelling home from work last Wednesday and he passed Callum Gibbons with a well-groomed but serious-looking dog in uh, Partick. <laughs> Looked like he was headed for a local bar frequented by warriors. Then in Bearsden, he walked past Darcy Ray. No idea where he was headed. And he said uh, that was from Neil, not the one who comments on the blog. Um, which is, I thanked him, thanked him for the clarification there because it was well, yeah. it was greatly received. Um, the other um, person I should give credit to, we, we did, uh, when I was away last week, we had uh, which Greg's pasties would Scotland players, uh, in would, would Scotland players order? Uh, and Kevin Smith got in touch uh, off top of the, Kevin Miller, sorry, off top of the moon, got in touch with, with a number of suggestions, which are all excellent. And I said I'd read them out this week. So he said, um, George Horn would want a sausage roll, but he'd be in behind the counter and have it away before the staff could even get it out of the oven. When asked what he wanted to order, Tom Gordon would respond, I've no idea what's going on. <laughs> Richie Gray would get his brother to order. Johnny would reel off all 43 players' orders from memory and would then deliver them all before returning to, returning to tidy the shop. Uh, Jail uh, Vakalomama would give up on his order after 50 minutes because apparently no one in the shop could see him. Uh, Rob Harley would be thrown out of the shop after three hours of reading out his dissertation on the perils of high-density uh, lipoproteins. Leone Nakarawa wouldn't get his order after deciding to spend the full day in Marks and Spencer's food hall instead of going to Greg's. <laughs> I think it's about him staying behind in Fiji. Uh, after waiting for his order, three steak bakes, Aki Salui would, pre- would prep a tray of sandwiches, serve customers and overhaul the coffee machine all while playing air guitar and singing to entertain the crew. The queue. And finally, Jamie Doby would get his order, two yum-yums, for free after the lady at the counter took pity on him and said, Och, you just save your pocket money, we and this one's on me. <laughs> so that, that might become a this regular feature. Last. I think that should become a regular feature. So if you've, if you've got an if you know what, what pasty, what takeaway order a Scottish rugby player or one of the pro players would, would order, then, then do let us know. Um, we're going to move on. We're going to do this. We're nearly at the end of this week's podcast. We're not going to come in under the hour, but we never do. So let's do, uh, let's do this. Yes, it's Hands in the Rock. It's the any other business section of the podcast where we like to have a bit of a rant about things not necessarily associated with Scottish rugby, although they can be. Uh, they can be good and bad. It can be things that we like, things that we don't like. Just it's a, a chance to have a wee rant. Um, we've been sent one by Ian Hay, who's on a sabbatical 
for a couple of weeks. Um, Ian will hopefully be joining us uh, again not in the not-too-distant future. Uh, he sent me his. Um, I think to get the own back from me last week, he's included lots of swearing in this because I, when I did my three hands in the ruck last week when I was off, I swore in mine. Um, so uh, Ian says it was uh, Ian McGeekin saying Scott Robertson shouldn't be coaching the Lions. He says, respect Geach to the hilt, but his reasoning is crap. He doesn't, uh, and and Ian McGeekin has said, he doesn't immediately know Northern Hemisphere rugby. Um, Ian's pointed out the Crusaders had 100% on their own lineup ball for the last two full Super Rugby seasons, which they won. Uh, So if over-reliance on set-piece plays is in your bag, he's okay at that bit. He says it's presumptuous rubbish. Um, He won't know the players, like how Graham Roundtree had an in-depth knowledge of Ryan Grant. Is Tooney going to be popular with the Munster boys? It's jobs for the boys. He said, and if Stephen Jones gets an article printed agreeing, I will lose all the crap I have left to give. Um, I did reply to Ian and say I disagree with him slightly. I don't necessarily... I don't agree with Ian McGeekin's reasons. I agree with what he said in that I think it's a representative side and it should be represented by people who are currently coaching within Britain and Ireland, which is why I objected to Warren Gatland being coached this time round because he himself said when, you know, he didn't select Vern Cotter last time round, you know, you have to be coaching in the country in order to, to lead the British and Irish Lions. Warren Gatland's coaching the Chiefs in New Zealand. So I'd, I wouldn't exclude Scott Robertson on any other basis other than he's not currently coaching in Britain or Ireland, Sandy. Do you, is, am I being fair as Ian? Ian said I was being half-arsed. No, I think unfortunately, Ian, I'm on your side, Cammy. I've got again. I think Scott Robertson's a fantastic coach. I think anybody who says otherwise is is mad. Not that that's been said here, but um, I just don't think it goes to the ethos of what's required here. If you want, if the if the object is just to win and nothing else, rather than which I don't think is necessarily, I mean, you want to win, but it's not the, the, the be-all and end-all for the Lions, then, yeah, get him in because he's, you know, he's class. But he's, you know, the British and Irish Lions, you've got to have, you've got to sort of be playing rugby. So I think in the, the British and Ireland or Britain and Ireland, so I think to coach, you've also got to be doing the same. Yes. Uh, and like you, I agree that that, uh, that should rule out Gatland as well. <laughs> Um, the other one, which, which hands in the rock, is John Anderson, who's um, who's not around this week either. Um, he said his hands in the rock is the Irish referee for Ulster versus Embra, while the Pro 14 don't help themselves. It's the D4 conspiracy, Sandy, once again. Yeah. I, I, somebody actually asked me about that on Twitter today, and I'd, I mean, to be fair, I'd rather have uh, Frank Murphy than uh, Marius Matreya or George Clancy. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, even if he is Irish, I mean, there's obviously clearly nobody thinks that he's going to be biased. John, I'm sure, doesn't think that either. But they could have avoided the the very suggestion of that by just picking one of the other referees. It's almost like they're doing it to be bloody minded. That you know, that to keep so that to say, well, well of course, they're not going to be biased and they'll be impartial because, and we're so confident of that, we'll pick. An Irishman to to it. <laughs> Where's Frank Murphy from? I'm not sure if he's uh, if he's from the south or not. Yeah. 
Yeah, we need to. I should have looked this. This I should have. Uh, I should look that up before because I also think that it, that it could, probably. Yeah, it, it over. I was going to say it, it over. Uh, it overlooks the fact of how much some parts of Ireland hate other parts of Ireland as well. Yeah, that's, um, that's true. He is. Um, let's have a look. He was born in Crosshaven. Um, he um, he's originally from Cork and oh, played for Munster. So there you go. I, I don't. And he finished his career at Connacht. And played for the Leicester Tigers, so I don't. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure that we can. Um, just because he's from Ireland, I don't think that necessarily means he's biased. Given how much self-loathing the Irish have for themselves on some <laughs> points, it would be like someone mourning that someone you know, Glasgow, someone for Glasgow had gone to you know referee an Ember match, and they, just because they're Scottish, it's like well, you know. Um, Even if they'd only played four minutes. <laughs> um, Dermot Gormley gets in touch on Twitter. He said, his hands in the ruck is me and people like me that complain about Glasgow's lack of signings and budgetary constraints while knowing the extraordinary financial landscape Scottish rugby currently inhabits. He says, he's doing my head in. So he's doing his own head in with that. But yeah, it's. I think we talked about this two weeks ago. Um, or we might, it might have even been on the Patreon special. I can't remember where we talked about this, saying that Actually, Glasgow aren't in that bad of a place. And when you compare them with Edinburgh, both clubs are in... Just because Edinburgh are doing better, that's not down to player players when you really break it down. I think um, Kevin Miller's made a similar point that they've each got their own, they've each got depth and strength in different areas. They're each as balanced as the other. Yes, Glasgow haven't made any signings, but you don't, you know, that's due to the current climate. And Ember are no better off, other than they're doing much better. Yeah. Which we'll get that in just, there, Sandy. I think Ember are just lucky that, that obviously, the, the work, the contract work was done, pretty much done prior to um, COVID hitting. Um, would we have seen differently with Glasgow, maybe? But the squad size is. I think and Kevin's stats where the, the Edinburgh sorry Glasgow squad was still actually marginally bigger. Um, I mean, like, I mean, if we face it, they're not they've had not a great season by their own standards. But if the season had gone to its fruition, they would probably still have qualified for the knockout stages. Yeah. And so they still had a. So it's only really whilst it's not been their their, their best. It's only really been COVID that's denied them a chance to carry on, uh, as they've had to rationalise. It's only the the top two from each. So, and you know, why complain yet? Because the the the, the season proper for them hasn't even started yet. Uh, yeah, wait to, wait till Christmas and then complain. <laughs> I think that's as well because you know we we've said before that Danny Wilson's come in late. He's, you know he's not really had a because of lockdown really had a chance to to put things right so it's you know it's unfortunate timing but at the same time you know they, they got Leon in Nakarawa you know although they were paying build houses in Fiji for part of the part of that but still you know you, you you've got to be grateful for for that you got a world class lock although they're playing it going to be playing him in back row I think yeah. um so yeah um what's your hands in the rock Sandy and then we'll come to mine well, I had a, sort of had a good and a bad, and you've taken the good already by mentioning uh, the uh, the Fraser Brown uh, line from Richard Cockrell. That's, <laughs> just, that's amused me this week entirely. Um, the bad one is uh, is you know for about the six hundredth time 
in the last three weeks, I've heard the same joke about the attendance at Murrayfield. Uh, it's like, oh, Edinburgh, it'll mean, no make any difference to Edinburgh. They're used to playing in front of nobody. And it's I, got I to made the point that joke, you, Sandy. Right, uh, well, we've, <laughs> I, we've all made it at some point or another. Uh, but it's, oh my God. And um, Brian O'Driscoll has piped up this week. So it's, you know, it's reaching everybody. It was funny. And it was funny for a while. But can we let it go now? Yeah. Please? Yeah, I think that's fair. That's fair comment. I mean, my my hands in the ruck is probably follows on from that. In that, I think it's it was fantastic to see that we got seven hundred fans into a live sporting event in Scotland, and that that went well. And the feedback from it is that's that's gone well. I think what probably, and I don't think the the SIU are completely culpable for this. I think the Scottish government also um, have a a role to play. I don't think the way that it was um, explained or marketed or publicised was helpful because the reaction under quite understandably is it's a different rules for rugby, and we've seen this come up before. That you know, and I know you and I have had slight difference of opinions on on this, Sandy, in terms of rugby fans' treatment compared to football fans. But there is that impression that you know rugby's an elite sport. It's just posh people to go to the rugby, and we both know that's not true. But that's what it looks like. It looked from the outside looking in. If you don't know rugby, you don't know the people that go into rugby a week in, week out. Yeah. You look on there and you say, they've got 700 people in that stadium because it's rugby, because it's posh people, but who they're lying in the pockets of the government. They're the people, that they're, the, they're in the police, they're in the... That they're the establishment, and they're getting their games played. They're getting to go and watch their games when actual fact, the reality is that the way that Murrayfield is laid out, because you have almost like the, the, the stadium within a compound, it is much easier than any other stadium that I know of in Scotland yep. to, to social, for people to, to, to enter a stadium, to socially distance while they're there, and to exit and socially distance as well. I mean, it's not... Obviously, there's, you know, but, but as well, the immediate area around the stadium and the entrances aren't highly populated. I mean, there's a, there's a bloody screw fix at the back of my yeah. field, I went and got batteries for my dictaphone last time I was there for <laughs> for covering the France game. But it's you know it's not again it's not a densely immediately densely populated area though you have to go them through that through, through one you can get the tram stops directly there so you can ferry people directly from the train station although it's, I think it's people a lot, lot more locally that were there but it's easier to empty that stadium than any other stadium it's easy for people to maneuver around the stadium than any other stadium that's the reason why I think it was chosen. Although I think Scottish rugby did some fantastic work persuading the Scottish government it was possible, but I don't think enough was made of this isn't to do with rugby, it's to do with Murrayfield as a unique venue. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I mean, the other thing was there were so many of, I would imagine all of the 700 were in single digit EH postcodes. Yeah. Um, So, you know, more or less within. Just about within walking distance. Um, I mean, those of us, you know, double-digit EH postcodes never got a look in, so they've been able to draw that that pool, and and that probably doesn't help because it's obviously an affluent area, so it doesn't help with that uh, kind of impression that it's you know it's only the elite that go in. No, it's just so happens that that's where the stadium is. Mm. Um, I mean, if you're if you're having to. I mean, without going into some of the other things to do with football, you, you know, an awful lot of the clubs, their their support bases are not 
that close to the grounds. And, and people want to travel from um, uh, all over the country to go and see. Uh, and if you gave it to if you gave it to one club, one football club, the other football club would be moaning like hell about it as well. Yeah. That's the uh, which um, I suppose. I is, it, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? The, the uniqueness of rug, professional rugby in Scotland is you've only got two teams. And you're yeah. only letting one set of fans in the ground. You think, like you said, you you do the same with football, and the number of clubs kind of multiplies. Yeah. Um, Chloe's asked, do you think Jason Le- um, Jason Leach's attendance helped or hindered the perception? I'm not. I think. I mean, he's spoken a lot on the Scottish Rugby, the official podcast yeah. about. They've had him on quite a lot, but I think there's a there's a public health thing there that they're looking at different communication channels um i don't know i think it's i don't i, I think it probably helped if anything because he's there to observe how it's happening so that then and again this is about the publicity isn't it if, if you can say he's here because he wants to see how it works so he can then go and advise other teams about how you would do it i mean in essence probably what actually what would have made more sense is to say we want to play more games at murrayfield not necessarily rugby games either you can play football games at murrayfield and like you said, it's that unique venue, but where, but then the moment you've got people traveling in to Murrayfield and either parking or coming on public transport, the risk increases. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I, I think if you're if you're having a balanced view, Jason Leach turning up there is what you would want from your hmm. health guy. You want him to be there and assess how this has worked out and whether it's because if we if we want to get back. You want to demonstrate up to them that it works, uh, and what better way to demonstrate it than in front of his own eyes? Uh, I mean, as a as a joke and aside, I think he was I think he's a, a bit of a Glasgow fan. So it's <laughs> what, what the hell? What the hell was he doing there? <laughs> has he has he got a single digit EH postcode, Ian? That might have been his excuse. Yeah, I did see another. Did see a Warriors top in the in the loosely loosely mentioned crowd. So aye. Um, it's it's an interesting one that one. I mean, the, the other thing I would say is, I mean, I'm I live within a, a spitting distance of Elland Road, and when Leeds got promoted to the Premiership, you know, fans flocked to the ground to celebrate. And I think there's an element of that in that, you know, as much as we, uh, you know, I don't think that there was going to be a, a sea of people in Sam and Chino's no. rushing to stand outside of um, Murrayfield celebrating. Just to be close, yeah. I mean, it, you you only have to. I mean, it, it, go to any of the Scottish Premier football grounds to see the people just gather outside the gates, the main gates of the clubs, to see the players arrive. Yeah. Um. So even if they weren't getting to the game, that that's a likely scenario, um, uh, for folk. You know, um, particularly if they live relatively close. So I, 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 you're you're right about the perception. Reality, I think, is is different. Yeah. No, I think that's fair enough. Um, that's it for this week um, from us. We'll be back next week. We've got the uh, semi-final to look back at next week. Um, other bits of news. We might be joined by, uh, I assume, maybe be joined by John John Anderson again if he can if he can face talk, spending an entire podcast talking about Edinburgh's success or not. I think you have to. F- no, uh, but, then but then he's got he's got you to look ahead to. Yeah. What you want to do, Cam, is get an answer from one before the outcome of the match. <laughs> I'll tell, send him a message tomorrow. Are you, are you up for the podcast next week? <laughs> um, Make up your mind now. 
Yeah. Um, thank you very much to everybody uh, that's watched live tonight. Um, that went quite well. Quite enjoyed doing that. It's good interacting with the live comments. I think that's something that's, yeah. that we definitely enjoy doing. Uh, so more of that, please. Um, if you haven't watched this live before, um, then there's details on the, the blog about the different ways you can do that and get involved. Uh, this will be available to listen back to anyway through the normal podcast channels, but this is just something that we're we're doing and we're quite enjoying. We, we'd be sat recording this anyway, so it's nice to do it with a wee bit of an audience as well, um, yeah, so long good. as we don't face don't, don't ban us again. Um, so, <laughs> um, so that's it from us for this week. Um, we'll see you all next week. Uh, don't forget to sign up for the Patreon. We've just done a History of Rugby Sevens did that last night with Lee from Blood and Mud and uh, the rugby historian Tony Collins. That was really interesting, especially because I got to slag off um, the SRU um, and public schools in Scotland quite a lot. So that was, it was like very cathartic from for me to do the that. Paywall. I know it, it. We started off being about sevens, and en- it was eventually about the uh, st- the beginnings of rugby in the Scottish borders because because I was there. So, but it's behind the paywall. It's worth listening to that. Um, if you want to subscribe, it's only three pounds. You can have a listen to that. We've done another one as well. We did a Q and A uh, where we talked. Ian and John and I talked about the di- the different how the difference between quiche and pizza and, and which one is best. And um, we also had a long discussion about the um, the future of, uh, of of having possibly having a third pro club as well. We got quite deep deep into that as well, um, and we'll, we'll we'll be doing more of those as well. But for the moment, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Sandy. Night, folks. <laughs>